1: Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. All right, uh, coming up in the second hour, portals and vortices or vortices. Stephen Wade, uh, sorry, Stephen Ward is a, a researcher of high strangeness. And uh, he'll be here to explore the connections between some modern day UFO experiences and various traditions of folklore, as well as patterns of uh, and parallels between different unexplained experiences separated by time and geography, uh, like the things that cause vehicle stoppages. Uh, UFOs, phantom armies and cryptids will also try to work in a discussion about the Mothman and uh, Skinwalker Ranch uh, this hour. Is there a subterranean reptilian humanoid civilization here on Earth? John Rhodes is the world's foremost authority on reptilian humanoids or reptilian aliens. His pioneering work investigating claims of reptilian alien contact eventually resulted in the birth of an entirely new genre of study in the UFO community. John's highly controversial perspectives have provided audiences with an entirely new view into the world of cryptozoology, UFOs, underground bases, extraterrestrial life, and inner terrestrial civilizations. He's lectured both in the U.S. and internationally. He's also appeared on TV shows, including Monster Quest, uh, The Conspiracy Zone, BBC Conspiracies, Animal X, Unsolved Mysteries, and uh, on the History Channel's UFO Hunter. Yeah, hunters, rather, in shows discussing the Dulcie Base, America's secret underground uh, tube shuttle system, and, of course, the whole Men in Black phenomenon. John is currently residing near Mariposa, Mid-Pines, California, just south of the Yosemite National Park. John, how are you?
2: I'm doing great, Richard. How are you?
1: I'm well. You know, you just reminded me the other day, we were uh, texting back and forth that the last time we spoke was 2008, 14 years ago. I can't believe it.
2: A lot has happened since then, hasn't it?
1: Oh, it's an entire lifetime, it seems. Uh, So 2014 years ago, that's entirely my bad. Um, So I I promise we'll get you back on uh, sooner, the next time. It won't be 14 years, I can promise you that.
2: Yeah, no apologies necessary. It's always a good talk to you. So the, uh, the terrestrial
1: reptilian hypothesis, the idea that, that reptiles, or these reptilians, rather, or reptoids, are, are living here amongst us or beneath our feet. Um, tell me about how you developed that hypothesis.
2: Um, well, it was uh, a number of years ago. I had um, stumbled across a UFO meeting and I, in Las Vegas, and I didn't know anybody really to uh, go out and socialize with. It was before the internet, you know, was really popular with all the social sites and everything that keeps everybody home. But anyway, I um, went to this rather eclectic group of people, and I thought, well, this will be kind of fun and fascinating to experience. And coming out of it, I realized that there were one or two people that were claiming not to have contact or sightings of some sort of unusual creature that they interacted with, uh, that was akin to like the small diminutive grays that was so popular out there on television and Whitley Strieber's books had talked about them and such, but rather something that had a reptilian form to it. And, um, when I started hearing these reports, and then I listened to an interview with the coroner in, in um, Roswell, New Mexico, when he had um, been interviewed, he said that the, uh, the skin of the creatures that, that they had been asked to um, get the coffins for, and uh, when he saw them, he said it had beaded skin like that of a lizard and that seemed to be a very much overlooked point, but I started putting one and one together, and what really sealed it for me is that uh, a paleontologist by the name of Dale Russell, the late Dale Russell, he was working on a uh, model of a dinosaur named truodon uh, millions of years ago for NASA, and, and NASA had asked him, uh, how could you project forward what extraterrestrial life would look like? And when he took this, upright dinosaur, Truodon, that had uh, eyes that were coming from the side of its head towards the front, giving it binocular vision, and it had three fingers and an opposable grasping thumb, and it had a large brain. He took the model of that dinosaur and extrapolated it out over time and said, had it not uh, died out when all the dinosaurs had uh, been wiped off the planet of the Earth over time, uh, this is what it would have looked like. And the model he came up with was a humanoid being that had two legs, two arms, just like a human does. But its uh, physiology would be definitely reptilian. And um, when I put all of that together, I started uh, correlating reports from different people across the United States. And then I started posturing the idea that what if we're actually looking at, uh, when we call them extraterrestrials, perhaps we may be looking at something that's terrestrial-based and living on our planet, but we just haven't had contact with it. After all, it's only fifteen percent of all life on Earth has ever been cataloged. There's a lot out there still hidden from the human eye, especially in the underground regions.
1: Right. And and, and if they had sort of an evolutionary jump start on humans, uh and, and had intelligence, then they would I guess have the ability and then the wherewithal and so forth to avoid human contact uh but occasionally they have been spotted so give me a physical description of uh what we we think these first of all do we say reptoid or reptilian
2: well a lot of people out there like to call call it different names so they can identify their work from anybody else's but Many years ago, when we I I first came out with this and tried to introduce it by doing lectures and television appearances during the '90s, uh, we started looking at something that was uh, tall. It was about uh, six to seven feet in in height. It had a head that was uh, had a large, rather large, back sloping cranium, and um, not overly sized, but enough to be noticeable. These creatures looked from a diminutive size up to that of like a linebacker, Uh, very broad shoulders, uh, long arms, very muscular, the three fingers with the opposable thumb and claws. uh, Some have been seen with tails or not tails. And um, their scales on their bodies uh, are very um, small in areas where they're very flexible, like around the neck and face. And um, they have large almond-shaped eyes with vertical-shaped pupils. Uh, slits for nose and also a wide, lipless mouth, and uh, that um, um, that is uh, attached a very prominent square jaw, and they have a very small pinhole pipes behind some scales on their left and right of their head for hearing, um, and these are the creatures that were described. If you think about it, back in ancient times, and you remember in the in the Bible, they say the Genesis story talks about Adam and Eve talking to a snake in the garden, and yes, it's been written as a a symbol of evil, but the important thing was um, the the form that was discussed in the more ancient works like the Haggadah actually described the being as having two legs and walking upright with arms. And in regards to the word reptilian or reptoids, Reptoids is a combination of reptilian and humanoid, so it's a more definitive word. Reptilian could be crocodiles, it could be turtles, it could be a lizard. Reptilian is pretty much anything. Um, so I used that word originally to try and define what people were encountering.
1: And uh, you mentioned some have tails, some some do not. So is this to suggest that there may be... Uh, more than one, what do we call them, species or race of, of reptilians?
2: I believe that there may be actually under the surface of the Earth pockets, civilizations of different reptilian beings. And just like there's a variation of humans on the surface of the Earth, there may be a very wide variation of reptilian beings living under our planet. And this is kind of an interesting thought because you know, it takes the whole discussion when the government says we don't perceive any extraterrestrial threat, then they're not, they're actually using like a legal loophole to not discuss whether they're addressing an issue that is terrestrial in nature and not extraterrestrial. And I right. think it's time that we start addressing that and get mo- getting more defined in our language on how we, um, you know, appeal to authorities to come clear on what they know. Ah, uh, the that's the an excellent we point. Are and so, when, we are, so when, for example,
1: So when, for example, someone does a a FOIA request, they should be very specific in their language, because if we keep making inquiries about what might be out there, that gives the government a loophole to basically, I don't know, continue to obfuscate or just ignore the question. But if we're specific, we're talking
2: keeping in mind, you know, that departments like the FBI, most of their employees are attorneys. So, you know, these guys are have been taught that everything is according to the language and the punctuation used in the document. They are so important because you can lie about things. You can avoid telling the truth based on the way somebody asked something. And if we're going to proceed uh, asking this question about where are these craft coming from that are descending from 80,000 feet to sea level at 50,000 miles an hour in less than a second. And the government saying they're not ours. They're not the Chinese. They're not the Russians. Sooner or later, we're going to be wondering who's controlling them and what do they look like?
1: Getting back to a little bit about what they look like. They look fearsome. Uh, are they, are they aggressive?
2: Um, I would say that um, from all reports that people have had and 70, over 70% of them are positive. Okay. There's only 30% of them are negative, And for the last decade or two, people have trolled on that and, and, Tried to whip up a lot of fear, you know, when it doesn't—it's re- not really, really warranted. But um, uh, they, it, like any wild animal, especially if you meet one out in the woods. Remember, there's people that we have still living in the Amazon that haven't seen an airplane, and they're very primitive from our point of view. And so it is with other creatures on this planet. We may be seeing some that live near surface areas and pocket Lise- in pocket areas of. of of woods or, or swamps that may be more primitive and dress more primitively. Meanwhile there's some that are very advanced, just like there are primitive humans and very advanced humans.
1: Right. And there are passive humans and there are aggressive humans and there are humans that mean ill towards others. So it's it's a mixed right. bag with humans. And why so should it be, similar with, why should with reptiles? It be
2: different? Right. Why should it be different for any other animal species? species i know that you know i love dogs but there's some dogs that you meet that are because of life's experiences and stuff like that they're not the best dogs to be around they're unpredictable they could charge you and you just have to sense that and be sensible um i think that anybody having contact with creatures like this which has apparently happened down in near bishopville south carolina in the 1980s
1: the lizard um, man yeah the,
2: the lizard man right and and um you know, the Christopher Davis, they reported this young boy t- changing a tire in the middle of, of an area near uh, a fields is charged in the middle of the night by something about six, to seven feet tall with red glowing eyes, upright on two legs, charging him. And when he gets back, he draws a picture. And this is like a, some sort of dinosaur man and lizard. I mean, the uh, it was turned the lizard man, but uh, poor Christopher passed the lie detector tests, and the FBI yes. trained sheriff. There, Liston Truesdale for many decades had to deal with repeated sightings of these things. And it was a very difficult thing for a professional law enforcement officer to have to deal with because, of course, it, you know, when, when it comes to authorities, they like to ridicule it just as much as they do, you know, like any time you report a UFO, somebody in the past 20 years is going to step out in a space suit and say, yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all crazy stuff in order to just dismiss it. We can't easily d- dismiss these things anymore.
1: But given the physical description, they sound like they would have enormous physical strength. Uh, like if they wanted to, if they were aggressive, they could uh, they could rip us limb from limb.
2: Um, many people have had that impression. Okay, and and this is where it's when you're near something that's unusual, you go into a, some sort of a psychological shock anyway. You get partially paralyzed because you're looking at these vertical slip pupils focusing in on you, you know, and and um, it, that must be some sort of an experience to have. And, and most people, they, they have religious connotations come up in their mind, thinking this must be the devil, everything I've heard about the devil, this is it, and I'm a, there must be something evil going on. And, you know, it's and we have to remember that there are incidents in which people are awake there's been multiple eyewitnesses they and um and there are incidents in which people are having these experiences similar experiences but they're in the sleep state and and i believe this is because being exposed to the uh, the information and the idea of reptilian hill noise more or less loosens the reptilian part of our own brains. And then these come out as archetypes and uh, figures in which we see in our dreams to help us figure out issues we're having. And the fear we might relate to that is because we're dealing with uh, part of the brain that is awakened during semi-consciousness, and that's not normally what happens. And just like Carl Jung would say, you know, Carl Jung wore a a, a ring on his finger and it was norboros on it, and if, to him, it was a, this was a sacred thing. And um, uh, he, he even recognized that the reptilian part of the brain is active, and it can play tricks on the brain. So when I've been receiving these reports over the years, and I have to say, okay, this person felt that this was an aggressive situation that took place, uh, was it really? And then you realize that this person's uh, viewpoint is that All these things are evil around them and demonic, and you can't break them free of that. How do they communicate? Um, They've been known to be heard communicating through a series of clicks, as well as um, one-on-one telepathic communication in which you hear uh, the spoken word inside your head, more or less. And um, uh, along with these kind of events, uh it has been uh seen that the the being was able to manifest some sort of a geometric plasma form outside its own forehead that went forward from it through to the through through the forehead of the person having the contact and when the a ball of plasma came out as rudimentary shapes at first and got ever more sophisticated as it got closer to the eyewitness, and the eyewitness felt it more or less touch his forehead, and he blacked out for a second. Um, for many uh, days and weeks afterwards, he had unusual information in his head about um, uh, uh, the the um, science of optics, and he went and took a, a, a laser laser, uh, program course when it had already been closed out to students but he took the test not knowing anything and he passed the test and 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 um, surprised the teacher and then he started feeling like this wasn't his how could he have all this information and knowledge in his head he didn't feel like it was his and then in some way he felt uh, like manipulated and he felt uh, like he didn't like that because it, it was he was acting on behalf of this creature was he or was he being stimulated in some way he couldn't fully understand so it's very mysterious
1: so the the intelligence obviously is I mean it's off the charts I mean how many millions of years head start did they have in terms of their their evolutionary development are they uh, well dinosaurs supposedly died off 65 million years Uh, how far ahead of us are they
2: well dinosaurs most dinosaurs died off. Uh, paleontologists now are in general agreement scientifically that, uh, you know, the birds are from a stock of dinosaurs. And primarily dinosaurs, we thought, are were they cold-blooded or warm-blooded? Because birds came out of dinosaurs. So how did a warm-blooded bird come out of a cold-blooded reptile? See, so right. over millions of years, uh, we morphologically change over time. And if you can imagine what other animal on earth other than the descendant of the dinosaurs, such as a parrot, a gray parrot, has the reach the vocabulary of 600 plus words to be able to communicate with us and mimic human speech the way it does. It's really quite remarkable. And that's using a bird brain. So, you know, could it be that we actually occupy space space that uh, something here has evolved through time with, you know, remember, uh, Originally, human beings, mammals, came after the amphibians and the reptiles. And there is a common ses- ancestor to all mammals and reptiles. Deep down in our genetic stock, in the library we- of information we carry in us, at some tiny, tiny, tiny little level, there are memories of these things regarding our past. That's why in, in when a, a, a baby is going through uh, its development, they enter stage of embryogenesis, which means that at times it's very difficult to tell the difference between humans and birds and pigs. For example, we have all we all have tails. And in some instances, babies are born with tails up to six inches long right. that are fully functional. Okay, And in third world countries, they're seen sometimes as unusual omens and they're left alone. But in most uh, first world countries, they're uh, very discreetly removed, you know, by the doctors, because they don't want to give anybody any kind of fearful, you know, bad thoughts. And I've met the, v- the who
1: vestigial tail, John. We've got to take a time out. Right, we'll uh, come back and uh, discuss further reptoids with the original crypto hunter, John Rhodes, right here uh, with us for uh, the full hour. Stay with us. Back with more in a moment. Have you subscribed to my newsletter yet? It's fast, easy, and absolutely free. Just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and then click on subscribe. All I need is your email address, and that's it. Then, once a month, you'll receive my newsletter, Inner Sanctum, in your email inbox. The Inner Sanctum contains a monthly brief, a column of my analysis of the news and opinions. There's a This Month in UFO or Conspiracy History, A look ahead to an upcoming episode of this radio program, a book club, my podcast pick of the month, a spotlight on a previous guest, and much more. Join the Strange Planet community by signing up for your free subscription to Inner Sanctum. Again, go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and click on subscribe. It's a strange planet. Read all about it. I call it the miracle molecule, carbon 60 or C60 from my good friends at Evo C60. I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, and it's a remedy that works. C60 Evo can slow down the aging process by reducing cellular damage. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58 and I don't have a gray hair on my head. And I have boundless energy. Get your miracle molecule in a bottle. C60 from c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serret. Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a... Ladies and gentlemen,
0: the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position, and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. Welcome back, John Rhodes.
1: Stays with us. Reptoids.com is the website. Reptoids.com. He's the original crypto hunter, and we're talking about the reptilians who uh, who may live right beneath our feet now given their intelligence and um, their physical prowess, the question that arises is you know why are we living on on top of the uh, on the surface and they're you know down below they they should be ruling this planet one would think or don't they have the numbers
2: well you know reptiles have ruled this planet a lot longer than mammals have. I think 190 million years. And um, uh, it's the nature of a snake to seek the refuge underground, as it is with any intelligent species when it comes to defense systems. Almost all countries in the world now have some form of underground bases. And it's the underside of the earth is much safer. Did you know that it's actually safer to be deep, up, deep underground during an earthquake than it is on the surface? A lot of people don't know that. And it's certainly right. safer in case of a comet impact. So uh, catastrophism is something that is not generally encouraged in societal discussion, because big business wants you to think in short terms, and they don't want you to suddenly pull your money. But the planet itself shows us often that this that Earth goes through some tumultuous times, perhaps cometary impacts, fragmentary body impacts, and such. That cause a surface reorganization of all things on the surface, almost. And what? Uh, sorry, go ahead. The, the underground, the underground seems like a, a better investment of time to spend. Uh, and in addition to this, uh, when you look at the dinosaurs that died out millions of years ago, the last dinosaurs probably to die out are the ones that were accustomed to living in Antarctica. And those are because they were preconditioned to living in a cold climate. And if the asteroid that hit caused some sort of a dimming of sunlight and leading to some sort of a smaller, uh, a small sort of an ice age coming in, the, the other uh, equatorial dinosaurs and animals would die off, but the ones in the Antarctica wouldn't. They would most likely, having been used to spending time uh, to, uh, in darkness uh, and retreating perhaps into cave systems, they may have it may have been their nature to retreat into its cave system and perhaps adapt to living underground and um, then they could perhaps have been a form of the dinosaurs that could evolve independently, um, especially if they were uh, if they en- encountered a situation where a punctuated equilibrium happened that's a term that's used to discuss. Uh, a, a form of um, event that occurs on the Earth that suddenly mutations happen seemingly overnight, and punctuated
1: um, equilibrium. Ask,
2: yes, punctuated equilibrium, and um, these because we think that mu- that changes happen over long periods of time, but like the sea urchin was an animal that was like a flowering animal all over the oceans of the Earth at one time, and it seemed like overnight again, relative terms. Uh, All of them all over the world turn into these spiny creatures. And it didn't happen independently and spread. It just happened independently. They all changed. And the forces on some sort of change like this are most likely a a, um, a penetration of our Earth's atmosphere by uh, unusual solar radiations or exotic cosmic rays that come down to the Earth and that, you know, It changes things at the very smallest levels. That's what might be. We might be going through that right now. I mean, uh, they're talking about cometary fragment impacts happening more often now. I've read that, you know, Earth is moving through some sort of galactic dust cloud that seems to have minimal magnetism per particle, but collectively it has a lot. So things are charging up, and it's not just Earth. Things are different, changing on the planets inside our own solar system. So it's not just a global warming. So there's so something going on.
1: Is 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 there a singular cataclysmic event that that forced, for lack of a better word, forced the reptoids underground? Or, um, I mean, can you pinpoint when they likely moved off of the Earth's surface to uh, subterranean dwellings?
2: Well, the the only thing I can surmise is uh, that, hey, 65 million years ago, there was a cataclysmic impact that destroyed pretty much everything, and whatever was left over evolved into birds. So if they changed that much in physical appearance into, and, and varied it as much as the bird kingdom is, uh, then... Um, How much time does it take for other pocket civilizations to actually take shape, especially when they're not under solar radiation influences anymore? Meaning that their mutations could happen more along something of an internal coding rather than an external force and adaptations. Because on the surface of the Earth, it's very dangerous. I mean, it truly is.
1: It's pretty hostile. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, they've they found shark bones embedded in the caves high in mountains. And when they look at the fragmentation, them, they go, this shark had to be traveling at 600 miles an hour, so what's carrying a shark that high up into the mountains and piling it back into a cave? So this idea of ro- continent-wide rolling waves because of a, t- a tilt in the Earth's axis or some sort of external body coming near us that shifts us after, after axis on occasion... That may be something that occurs, and um, as well as the solar issue, there's nothing more influential on the planet than the sun. And I think that what we've been going through for many decades here is this argument about well, it's human caused. No, it's it's this, it's that. The point being is it's it appears to be solar caused, and they can't, there's nothing they can do about it. If the sun goes quiet, the atmosphere of the Earth it balloons outwards, and it, when it's not compact, it allowed cosmic rays to make their way down through the atmosphere, and weather starts changing. The Earth starts changing. And the, this, the, the sun is going through erratic behaviors even right now, long periods of acquiescence where it's really, uh, it's really quiet. Historically, those times have brought upon the ice ages, right. and even the mini-ice age just recently where the Thames River was, closed, was frozen over and vendors went out on ice skates and, and shut up, set up their wares. And kind of weather changed, and of course, food distribution changes. And I think what we're going now through is a precursor to these times happening again because of global weather change, and um, also uh, a an over plan to just kind of like pull the world together. And we got to remember, if we're sighting uh, extraterrestrials and they land, are they want to? Do you think they're going to want to set up? different negotiations with different leaders or different countries all over, or are they going to tell us to get our act together and have one voice? And that may be what's prompting uh, recent changes in, in, in historical uh, senses, really, because we're being pushed very rapidly towards um, some sort of an event that's going to take place that's going to try and unify the world. Uh, global warming didn't do it. Uh, so now we're looking at different things. People are talking about the Chinese threat and the Russian threat and all of this. I really believe that most of these nations have agreements behind the scenes that in which different governments, if there's shadow government of the United States, there's shadow government of China as well as Russia, and these guys may already be in total agreement based on the world and its processes and, and, and how things are to be going. <clears throat>
1: So if we were to be forced underground, would would the reptoids be willing to uh, to share uh, space down there? Yeah. Would they be willing to coexist with us, do you think?
2: Well, the, a, a great example of something like that is the Hopi Indians. Um, I had personal friendship with the Hopi tribal leader on the most ancient of the plateaus up there in the Old Arabi village. And he was the traditional chief of the Hopi, Stanley Baneptemwa. And um, uh, we had talked about the Serpent Peoples and their specificity in the specifically in the uh, Grand Canyon area and how perhaps, you know, an underground place was found back there in 1909, April 5th, 1909. in the Arizona Gazette newspaper, they talked about a massive underground city that was found that could basically, um, you know, hold up to 50,000 people in it. And it had, you know, it looked like it had artifacts from Egypt that were deposited in there. And then nobody said anything since. So I said to Stanley, I said, Stanley, you know, what they discovered in 1909 was that you're opening into the earth. You have legends called the Sipapuni, which is like a hole in the ground. And you said that during manifested uh, disasters in the past, that only certain Hopi were led underground by what they call the ant people. Right. And you think of what an ant person is, you know, you got to come up with that, again, this Whitley-Striber gray creature with big eyes, little thin limbs and everything. That's what, from maybe a native's point of view, an ant would look like, And they are underground. And he, and they say that the ant people gave so much of themselves, they became thin and looked the way they do today because of their generosity towards the Hopi that they held underground.
1: Uh, John, uh, pardon her, the interruption. I've got to sir, take a, uh, another time out here. We'll yep. come back. Uh, with John Rhodes, the original crypto hunter, as we continue to delve into the reptilians. Stay with us.
0: This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca.
1: It's time to try the tea everyone's talking about. Nothing does what Life Change Tea does They have no competition Life Change Tea helps support a healthy body It tastes great and leaves you feeling refreshed every day I can't get enough of my pomegranate super tea I brew two gallons at a time and let it steep in the fridge overnight Enough to last me the entire week And every morning I have a 16 ounce glass of this amazing GMO non-caffeinated herbal tea It keeps me regular by providing a gentle cleanse every day I'm never gassy or bloated. And good health begins with a healthy gut. This pomegranate super tea is not available in any store. You need to go to getthetea.com. Go to getthetea.com. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. All of them. It's time to get your tea from getthetea.com. You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com. Forward slash Strange Planet. Patreon.com forward slash Strange Planet. There are several tiers to choose from. Pick which one is right for you, but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated. As a sign of my appreciation, you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show, or you could have your name included in a crawl on my YouTube channel live stream. You could also receive episodes of my old podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. This critically acclaimed podcast. Produced in partnership with Chris Jericho is not currently available anywhere else. If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet.
0: As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet.
1: Welcome back. John Rhodes stays with us. You suggest that they may be living not only underground, but also off-world, and also in an alternate vibrational state of reality. Explain that third one, an an alternate vibrational state of reality.
2: Well, um, uh, we see how strongly influenced religions have been by the serpent image over time. Originally, the world was united under a serpent image because independently, when they, these guys took their drugs, they would all kind of see this serpent from within their own reptilian brain. This imagery was so strong that this is what was their standard, regardless if you were a Viking or a Native American here in the United States. They all seemed to worship the serpent. And it was only later that the bird came in, the symbol of the dove or the eagle, the standard in which we live under today the dominant authoritarian rule. The, um, and a great example of that is that um, uh, people have seen these beings be able to move physically in their uh, space as well as somehow become semi-translucent and walk through doors or walls as if they did not exist. And I remember a specifically a, a case in which I was dating this girl. She had a friend who was dating a gentleman that was a gardener at a church. And his 16-year-old daughter died in a tragic car accident, and he was devastated. And the the next time we saw him, about a year later, he seemed to be totally recovered. And I said, what a a great recovery you've had. And he goes, well, to tell you the truth, he says, I was tending to some roses in the garden, and he says that of the church— and he says, all of a sudden, and I was talk- thinking about my daughter, and all of a sudden, I found myself in a different place. And he says, and, and it looked like it was like a, a public area, like in Rome or something. And we were sitting on a on a on a uh, the edge of a, a, a fountain, and my daughter was there with me, sitting next to me. And she said, "Don't mourn for me anymore, Father. I'm in a good place. Everything's okay. We all meet up at the end." And then he looked kind of puzzled, and then. And this was said during the dinner we were having and then i said what's troubling you and he says well the strangest thing was is that when she looked at me she had vertical slit pupils like a snake dear lord he said right and i and, and i'm wondering in the back of my mind where are these beings coming from we know some of them are physical here but we know there's humans and and ghosts people have seen ghost forms of humans so are we dealing with some sort of ghost form or non human non physical form of reptilian beings that were are occupying another area or a dimension just like humans occupy perhaps a dimension and this is why the spirit world and religions are so obviously influenced by these forms too and so you know we're talking about could creatures actually interact with us through space-time moving about and then just you know slip in and slip out we just don't know what we're dealing with and even then when we have an open contact we're never really going to know 100 percent of the truth
1: Uh, you also surmise that they may, may additionally be off world so they have uh, bases on on other other planets is that the idea
2: well if if they evolved prior to man and and had attained a high intelligence space exploration is the next great step so um there are ideas out there that are floating around that a contingent of these beings may have actually left the planet to go on a tour of other planets and tend to come back here one day. And when they do, they may claim that Earth is actually their home. They've just been away exploring. And this sets up, you know, when we have governments that have contact, are we dealing with something off, off our planet? Are they intending to stay? Do they occupy space? And if they occupy space, it brings up all these diplomatic issues about, you know, okay, if you're in the underground but you're in the territory of the United States are you an american reptoid you know so <laughs> we have to think about all those potentials that are ahead of us for open contact
1: and uh, the ufo phenomena are most all some of the craft that that we see these uaps are they terrestrial piloted by these reptilians coming out from these subterranean bases is that your hypothesis as well
2: well i don't believe they're all We may have off-world craft here as well, and off-world beings who come here to visit. But it certainly would answer the argument of when people have brought strange metals and things that they found at UFO sighting areas, and they brought them in for inspection, when the analysis comes in and they say these are all terrestrial elements, so therefore they could not be extraterrestrial, okay, it's closed. Well, that argument is now gone because they'd be using all the elements that we have on Earth just in different scientific ways to come up with unique materials, just like, you know, we came up with graphite and different things. So the whole argument about coming from far off the planet to visit here, really, we think aliens are going to come from some distant place just to spend five minutes and go home. Is it that simple? Or are they going to come here with some sleeping bags and bunker down, perhaps in a cavern system and park behind the banyan tree or something? Well, my guess is that just unlike on Star Trek, they'd probably set up some hidden labs in which they'd observe us from a distance. And that may be going on as well.
1: All right, John, Another. Uh, this was a short segment. We'll take another quick timeout, come back. We'll also get to some questions from our YouTube live chat. John Rhodes, the original dot Reptoids.com, the website.
0: The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridicule. ridicule. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as self-evident. You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. A few minutes remain with John Rhodes
1: with the Reptoids Research Center. How big is this subterranean civilization? Are, are they all gathered together in one location or are they are they dispersed evenly underneath the, the ground? And do they communicate with one another? down these various you know, populations?
2: Of course, all of this can be conjecture, uh, but I would imagine that they're distributed across the planet, um, some heavier concentrations in areas than others. Um, and I don't know if those would be equatorial or towards the, the polar regions um, because of point of origin. There's only about one two thousandth of the Earth's surface has an opening into the ground. So I think that we're talking about an, a, a civilization that may be um, more active in some areas than not. And if they communicate, I would imagine that they do, perhaps in the larger population areas, and then by other means they have different communications to outlying areas that may not be on the same communication system. And of course, this is all conjecture, right? because we really don't know. We know that there's a there's probably a higher probability that we're dealing with something that's just unknown that we've been living with on our planet. And that's the point of origin of a lot of myths and legends. And people have dealt with them from time to time. And uh, we may be coming forward to a time in which we have open contact again.
1: Would, there, would these various populations underground of the, the reptilians, would would they likely be connected with you know high speed shuttles, tunnels, et cetera?
2: Oh, I would imagine that they would, uh, just like our own government is believed to be. Uh, actually very heavily installed underground. You know, the idea of a tube shuttle being built that could take a person from coast to coast to New York to Los Angeles in half an hour, these are all feasible things back in the, with our tech, normal technologies back as far as 1970s. So if do- uh, an advanced civilization lived underground, I imagine they have something much better even than what we have, secretly have linking our uh, our own military underground bases across the United States.
1: And to what extent do you believe are the reptilians cooperating with various militaries and governments around the world in in these uh, underground bases?
2: You know, I do not know. I imagine if we're if we have some sort of a global uh, shadow government agreement on a global scale that um, we have taken people from other nations and um, brought them in to introduce them. To these beings, so they could go back as representatives to their countries and talk about what's real and what's not real, and also the scientific sharing of, of knowledge, because this is what really is, you know, is what it's all about. It's a matter of what technologies could you acquire through negotiated contracts that can be dispersed across the planet, so we can proceed with the next novel technology that may not even be of human origin, but we adapted it to our own systems.
1: All right, let's go to the YouTube live chat, and Magavelli asks, John, have we, or the reptilians, been to Mars? Do the reptilians live on other planets?
2: Um, I imagine if they've, they've evolved here, there could be similar stages of evolution happening in other planets that are similarly constructed, and that um, there's probably uh, mammal and reptile creatures on other planets. And, and to what degrees they may have evolved intelligence are going to be probably, again, changing, depending on what's happening on their, lo- in their on their local planet. Uh, so, yeah, I believe that there's some from other worlds, most definitely. I don't think that, you know, we are as unique as we like to think.
1: Sigma Six asks, are the reptilians responsible for some of the notorious cases of missing people?
2: Well, just I guess if you want to think that, you'd have to also put Bigfoot in there. Is Bigfoot responsible? Because, the, you know, again, these are uh, creatures that we've had sightings of. And, of course, you know, people have disappeared in park regions, and we don't really know where they go to or where, or are they, where they disappeared to. So all of that, again, is going to be a matter of... It depends on if you like to hug a Bigfoot. Don't think about that with them. And if you're like, you know, petting a smooth-scaled lizard, don't think that about them. We just we just don't know. There's no credible evidence to say that they are are directly harmful or have abducted people and taken them to places where they've been terrorized and come back with any kind of physical evidence that anything more than um, what they have around them. They're just Hasn't been just like we haven't discovered the bone of a reptilian being, but we're conjecting, you know, conjuring up ideas based on science to figure out could they actually exist?
1: Are they right under? uh, Are they under large urban centers? For example, Los Angeles? Would they be under there?
2: Uh, There was a report a number of years ago in which a uh, geologist was searching for a city that the Hopis say that was in the Los Angeles area and that was occupied by what they call the lizard people. And that this was an ancient civilization that lived there and that Los Angeles was built on that point. Uh So the area of Los Angeles in itself for, is a very, very important place for different reasons. Um, uh, and um it could be that some past civilization along the coastline settled there as well. Um, it's uh It's really unusual because you can't. I've I've done television shows in which we've tried to map out the underground of Los Angeles, and they've denied access to the streets to be able to use any kind of seismic equipment to look down underground. And so, you know, the idea is that they say, well, every building is sensitive, but I think what they're really doing is they don't want you to see exactly how vast a network of tunnels and, and underground facilities extend all the way around Los Angeles, especially down towards the. Redondo Beach, Palos Verdes area, all that El Segundo area where the uh, leading aer- aerospace technology countries uh, companies are as well as DOD uh, organizations. Vic
1: asks do these creatures have a political setup? If so, what kind of social political system do they have or might they have?
2: The only thing that we've been able to determine is that uh, there have been other reptilian beings that have, se- that have been seen that uh, do not look like the standard ones. They appear to sometimes have white skin like an albino and also they have wings and these wings are like large bat-like wings attached to, the, to their back. And when they have them folded, they look like these beings are have uh, shoulders that are running really high and then they, they have this black draping down on it. So it almost looks like their their eyes are lower on their chest when it's really the, the, the wings coming up behind them. And, um, Uh, They seem to be giving instructions to the regular reptilians that do not have the wings. So uh, we've gotten the impression that these guys are somehow in charge. There may be some um, sort of hierarchy set up based on physical form, uh, how you look. Of course, uh, as far as politics, I have no idea. They, They may not even deal in politics at all. They may have evolved way past politics. They may have said, look, this is a, a, th- the only people that win this game of politics are the people that created it, so we quit it a long time ago. They probably run their society based more on a business model because of trade, because that's what it always comes down to.
1: What would they subsist on? What, what, would, they, would they grow their own food down there? Would they uh, come up to forage on the, on the surface occasionally?
2: I imagine that, and um, we, they may be uh, in, have negotiated agreements with our surface governments to take um, goods uh, down below, uh, meaning they are trucked out of warehouses, go into a hangar, and nothing comes out of the hangar. Just a, a door opens up, and it's empty again, meaning there's lifts going from hangars into tunnel systems that, for food support and logistical supports for underground bases as well as theirs. Fascinating. So, uh, John, where
1: can we um, where can we see you next? Do you have any television specials coming up, any speaking events?
2: Uh, well, the speaking events have been mixed for a while. I'm currently yes. working on a, a unique project that I, I'll talk to you at some point in the future about. Um, and um, uh, right now it's a matter of just kind of like searching things out. Up here in the Mariposa area, you know, we're still de- i'm still dealing with the discovery of in a- 1854 of a large cavern that was 40 mile, in excess of 40 miles in distance and it went from the Yosemite National Park through the Sierra Mountains and the appear- story appeared everywhere in the United States except in the town of Mariposa where it originated and oh, so my. these are the kind of these are the kind of lar- uh, stories like the Grand Canyon underground thing that I found a number of years ago and brought out to the public that they has blown up and TV shows have been doing, d- done about it and everything. This is a new one, and it's uh, definitely a most interesting story. Uh, but, it again, it involves, you know, history and uh, the na- local natives and the fact that, you know, we might have found underground spaces, massive underground spaces in the past, and then just kept them quiet and didn't want anybody to know about it because we were dealing with, you know, issues in which they may want to later occupy it as an underground facility for some sort of an outpost or something for the US Army.
1: John, absolutely fascinating. We'll have to do this again soon. We won't leave it fourteen years yeah. next time. I promise. Thank you so much for this. A- anytime. John Rhodes and the website again at the Reptoids Research Center is Reptoids.com. Reptoids dot com. And uh, when we come back, we'll uh, talk about portals and vortices, uh, Skinwalker Ranch, the Mothman, and much more with Steve Ward. Stay with us. If you're a fan of this radio program and the Strange Planet podcast, why not show it off by wearing Strange Planet apparel or drinking from a Strange Planet mug? Check out all the great Strange Planet merch in my Strange Planet shop. Just go to the website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and click on shop in the menu. There's a huge selection of men's and women's t-shirts. You like crop circles or the Mayan calendar? Got you covered. Are you into the Anunnaki? Wait till you see these designs. My favorite right now, lions do not lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. And one of our bestsellers right now, Truth Gets You Crucified on the front and a passage from Matthew chapter 23 on the back. So many great t-shirt designs, I don't know where to begin. There's women's leggings and tote bags and, of course, mugs. Great gifts for family and friends who listen and love this show. My Strange Planet shop. Visit today and often. Just go to strangeplanet.ca.